Thank you for streaming the audio messages of the Fountain Church. We've been in a series entitled The Cloud, and we've been looking at, um, over the last nine, it's almost gone about eight weeks now, we've been looking at this reality that if there's any cloud we want to download from, it's from his cloud. But the last three weeks, we've been looking at this reality that Jesus will return in the clouds just as he ascended, as it says in Acts chapter 1. And so we've been looking at how do we live in light of the reality of Christ's return. And so I, I want to speak to you today from the subject of pay attention on purpose. Pay attention on purpose. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for these next few moments that we share. We know, God, uh, that only you can change us. We know, God, that you can speak to us in a way that will never be the same. So, Lord, we're not here for religious routine. We're here for relationship. We're here to move closer to you and closer to one another. So, God, would you change us as we open up your word in a way that only you can. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Well, has anybody ever watched the show Shark Tank? You guys seen this show? Uh, it's a very popular show. If you haven't seen it, it's probably one of my most favorite yet frustrating shows on the planet. Now, if you've never seen it, uh, Shark Tank consists of people that will bring their ideas, their inventions before a panel of investors, hoping that one of these guys, millionaires and billionaires, will invest in one of their products. Now, as fun as it is to watch all these new ideas and inventions, it's also really frustrating because there's probably not an episode that goes by that I don't clench my teeth and, oops, excuse me, that I don't clench my teeth and, and, and utter these words, how did I not see that? Like, how come I didn't think about that? For example, this one scarred me. I've used sports bottles for a long time. Anybody ever use a sports bottle? Well, these guys, you would put protein powder on the inside as you're going to the gym, and you shake it up really good. You go to the gym, you drink your protein shake, either before or after. I'm not sure what your routine might be, but mine is always after. And then by the time you drive home, the protein kind of cakes on the bottom here. And I spent countless times taking the sponge and trying to get out, you know, all that gunk on the bottom. Well, as you guys can see on the picture, somebody had a brilliant idea and said, we're just going to put a cap on the bottom. A simple tweak and make millions of dollars. So all these times that I'm scrubbing with the sponge, I just didn't see it. Frustrating. Second, second thing that's frustrating about this show is maybe you've experienced this where you've had an idea and then you see it manifested in public. You're like, I thought about that five years ago. But you never did anything with it, right? You never deployed it. So somebody else is now in your seat making millions of dollars because they had the same brilliant idea, but they actually did something with it. And then there's some things on Shark Tank that I'm just not mad at. Like if I were to look on the, looking from the outside in, I'm looking at certain products and how they connect and how they work. And I'm thinking, I don't even, I would never even have, thought of that. I mean, that seems so impossible. Like, kudos to whoever designed that thing, because that is crazy. And then you might be asking, like, okay, well, that's great. I'm glad Shark Tank frustrates you, but what does this have to do with my life? We're at church, people. Like, can we open up the Bible, Pastor Matt, right? 
Um, but I think it's a great picture of our life. I think it's a great picture of our life in a lot of different ways because the reality is, if you're taking notes, this isn't going to be on the screen, but you might want to jot this down, is that God has given you a spiritual gift. God has given you a gift. And what's amazing about that is many of us, we've lived our entire life and we're walking around and going about our day not realizing or maybe never seeing that God has placed gifts on the inside of you. I think others of us, we, we know that God has given us some spiritual gifts. We may be able to cite them and recite them and tell you what they mean, yet we've never deployed them. And we, they're, they're really not active. We're kind of sitting on them and have never really put them into action. And then for some of you, maybe this is your first church experience. Maybe you're brand new to church and, and this whole God thing and you're wondering what in the world are you talking about. I didn't even know it was possible that God would even want to give me any type of gifts. And I want to lean into this today because I think it's really important. I think it's really important. I think it's a very huge deal. And it's very big and it's very important and it's very huge because your spiritual gifts and the gifts that God has put on the inside of you many times are directly connected to the purpose God has called you to. And, and I think Peter is trying to unpack this for us in 1 Peter chapter 4, that Peter's saying, listen, as we get closer and closer to the return of Jesus, as the world gets more and more crazy, as, as we start to enter in some of these, um, or as we're living in these last days and as uh, times get more and more intense, Peter's saying, listen, you're not to go run and hide like God hasn't just called you to make it through. And so let's look what Peter says. Let's recap a little bit. Peter says this, 1 John chapter 4, he says, or 1 Peter chapter 4, I don't know why I say 1 John. I might need to read there later. Um, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. What Peter is telling us here is that in the last days, followers of Jesus should be some of the most stable and sound people on the planet. That as times get more intense, we don't get frantic. We become more and more stable because we understand what God is doing and we have a purpose in this time. But then he says above, he says, and make sure you stay sober so that you can pray. It's going to get intense, so make sure you're staying close to God because you're going to need him. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins and offer hospitality to one another without complaining. What, what Peter was trying to describe here is, listen, we, our love should be demonstrated in such a way that as the world looks at our church, sin looks unattractive and pales in comparison to the love and life-giving environment that we have as believers. Almost like, like a person would look at, at our church and they would look at their life and be like, man, I gladly give up all this stuff just to get a taste of that. Because as we get closer and closer to the end, uh, to, to Christ's return, uh, the Bible says, Matt, Jesus says in Matthew 24, the love of many will grow cold. And so he says, man, as the world's growing cold, your love has to stay hot. But then he goes on to say this. Look what he says. He says, and each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So do you see what Peter's saying here? He's saying, listen, you haven't, you're not called just to simply exist during the last days. You're not called just to make it through the last days. Like God has given you gifts. And it's nothing you've earned. It's simply by his grace and you're to steward those gifts well. You're to use them well. Because I think what Peter was trying to communicate to us is this. If you're taking notes, you can jot this down. 
that God didn't create you to make it through the last days. He created you to make a difference in the last days. And this is huge. Now, I know when we talk about all of these things combined, spiritual gifts, my purpose, the end times, the world's getting crazy, it can be a little bit overwhelming. You might even feel a little bit intimidated to approach this subject of how all these dots connect and how does this all work out. It can feel like a giant of a task. And so I thought, what better way to spend our moments together than to look at a young shepherd boy who was getting ready to step into his purpose while facing a giant. Now, this is a very famous story entitled uh, David and Goliath. Uh, even if you haven't been in church for very long, you might have heard um, that it's kind of always used as the underdog story, even though uh, in a lot of ways that's out of context, but that's another sermon. Um, but but I, I really want you to lean in, especially if you've been in church for some time, because the moment David and Goliath come out of my mouth, it's like, oh, I already know the story. Um, but I want to challenge you to lean in because I really believe God has something to say to us, and there's going to be a, a, a bit of a twist that we're going to take on this passage. But let me set the stage for you. Let me give you a little context. God was uh, wanting to select a new king for Israel. And so we told the prophet Samuel, I want you to go to this man by the name of Jesse's house, and I want you to anoint one of his sons to be king over Israel. So Samuel goes to Jesse's house. He says, hey, Jess, where's your boys? Jesse brings out all of his boys, and what happens? They all look handsome. They're, they, I mean, they look like kings. They're strong. So Samuel's like, man, this is going to be easy. So he goes down the list of of sons, and the Lord says, no, 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 none of them. And so Samuel looks at uh, Jesse, and he says, hey, do you have any other boys? He says, well, I, I got my youngest. He's, you know, on the backside of the hill country tending my sheep. And Samuel said, go get him. So long story, Samuel lays his eyes on David, and the Lord says, that's him. That's the one. The weakest, the most obscure, that's the guy that I've called. He may not look like it on the outside, but he has a heart for me on the inside. And so what happens? Samuel anoints him, but then life kind of goes on as usual. Nothing really changes for David. He's still tending his father's sheep. It's not like he's, you know, boosted uh, right up to the king's throne. As a matter of fact, uh, a lot of time has, has kind of passed, and, and David is going about his normal routine, and at this very same time, a battle has broken out in the valley of Elah between the Philistines and the Israelites. Let me give you a picture of this. Now, this, uh, the, the Philistines were off to the right uh, of the valley. Saul's camp, the Israelites, were up on the left side. And then this valley and this riverbed, this creek, would lie right in the middle. And for 40 days, uh, the Philistine champion, uh, by the name of Goliath, he's a real man, very large man, uh, champion, a warrior, would come out for 40 days and taunt the Israelites, mocking God, like, where's your God? Your God, what's up? If your God is so big, how come you're not coming to fight me? And he's just taught, it's like UFC all over again, right? UFC is not original. This, this was happening way back in the Bible days. And so, so he's taunting them for 40 days. Well, on the 40th day, Jesse uh, sends David, his youngest son, to go give some Lunchables to his brothers on the battlefield. And so as David approaches, he hears this giant named Goliath, hurling these insults and defying God and the armies of God. And so that's where we kind of pick up in our story. And David is overhearing this. And, and look what it says, 1 Samuel 17. It says this. It says that, now the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He keeps coming out to defy Israel. 
The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes. Continue. So David looks and he asks the man standing near him. He says, what will be done for the man that kills this Philistine again? Can you run that by me one more time? You mean I get paid, I get a girl, and no taxes? Like, come on. Listen, God has a sense of humor, ladies and gentlemen. He, re- he really does. David's like, this sounds like a great opportunity. How come nobody's stepping to the plate? And David says, listen, what will be done for this man who kills a Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? You can already hear kind of an angst in David's heart. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Now, it's in this moment that this young boy is getting ready to step into the purpose that God had been preparing him for. And and as David steps into his purpose, I believe that there are some things that God really wants us to lean into and to pay attention to as we kind of examine the life of David and as you and I step into the purpose and the call that God has for us. And so if you're taking notes, the first thing I want us to observe and I I want you to pay attention to is, number one, I, I want you to pay attention to the people you allow to speak into your purpose. Now, if you look at uh, the stadium, I think this is like the new Vegas stadium for the Raiders. But you could imagine these players on the field, they're, they're walking in their, calling and, in their calling and in their purpose. And do you know how many people are in the grandstands yelling at them? You're nothing. Well, they don't do that at Raider games. Maybe a Niner game. Um, <laughs> you're nothing. Like, you're horrible. Right? Just, just speaking a whole bunch of crazy stuff. You'll never make it. And hurling things that I can't even repeat. It can get pretty, pretty intense. As much as there's cheering and hoorahing, man, when somebody makes a mistake on that field there, man, it's easy for the whole crowd to turn on you in a moment's time. But it's important that, that we need to pay attention to the people that we allow to speak into your purpose. And David was experiencing the same thing. He's stepping onto the field, and look what he's met with. It says this in 1 Samuel 17, 28 and 29, when Elab, David's oldest brother, Heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? Now, this isn't very uncommon. If you, if you would kind of go back a little bit, David's oldest brother was bitter. I mean, David got anointed to be king. In this culture, the firstborn got all the perks, but not this time. And so for him and David, it was like this, probably uh, his brother was dealing with some rejection. He's dealing with some pain. And how many of you know hurt people hurt people? And so he's not happy with David. And he says, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those sheep in the wilderness like little shepherd boy? You know, this, this is, a, this is a, a battle for real men. You take care of sheep. And he says, I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now, even though none of that is true, can I tell you that as you begin to step into your call and into your purpose, one of the first things the enemy is going to try to do is try to rob your confidence. And if the enemy can't rob your confidence, he's going to try to attack your character. And so at this moment, David had some decisions to make. And I understand David. Because I remember when we were getting ready to step into this role at Fountain Church, I was on the phone call with the gentleman. And he was explaining to me why it wasn't going to work. You don't have what it takes. You're too young. You don't have the discernment or the wisdom to navigate this. It's never going to get off the ground. Why are you even thinking about doing this? So after that encouraging call, 
I, uh, I did what David did. Look what David did. David looked at his brother and said, now what have I done, said David. Can't I even speak? This is my favorite part. He then turned away to somebody else and brought up the same matter. And I remember that day I got off the phone and I called one of my pastor friends and I said, hey, man, do you, do you really think we can do this? And I explained everything. He said, what? And I'll listen to that guy. You got everything you need. God has called you. God has empowered you. God has equipped you. And by the time I got off the phone with him, it was like, yeah. Yes. Now, it doesn't mean that all my pastor friends just tell me what I want to hear. There's a lot of times that they tell me what I don't want to hear. They'll correct me if I'm wrong. But the difference is I know that they want to see God's best in my life. And I know they want to see God's purpose prevail in my life, not be derailed. And so listen, ladies and gentlemen, you have to be careful. You have to pay attention to the people that you allow to speak into your life, to speak into your purpose. You want to make sure that you're surrounding yourself with people that want to see God's very best. And I'm so grateful that I didn't listen. So grateful that I didn't listen. Next thing I want you to do, if you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down, is you need to pay attention to your passions and convictions. You need to pay attention to your passions and your convictions. Look, look, what, look what it said. Look, well, actually, let me give you a little backdrop. So word got back to Saul that David wanted to step to the plate and fight this Goliath. So Saul's like, man, who is this kid? Bring him to me. So David comes to Saul. Saul looks at him, and it's probably one of those moments where Saul looks like, you're a cute kid. But this guy's a giant. Saul says, he's been fighting. He's been fighting since, since birth, man. This guy came out of the womb with armor. And I don't think you're going to make it. But I, I love David's response. Look how David responds. He says, you're, David replied to King Saul, your servant. First of all, you see the humility in David's heart. A true leader, a true leader will always lead with humility. He said, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off the sheep from the flock, I went after it and I struck it. And I rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by his hair and struck it and killed it. How awesome. This is exciting. If you're not excited right now, come in, lean in a little bit closer. He says, uh, he goes on to say, look what he says. He said, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be just like one of them. Because he has defied the armies of the living God. Do you see the conviction? Do you hear the passion? The Lord who, that now David's getting fired up. Now he's going to start preaching. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hands of this Philistine. You can hear that angst on, on the inside of David. You can hear that conviction. You can hear that passion. Because you see, many times our passions and our convictions are shaped by the experiences that we have in life. Like for instance, maybe you grew up on a sports team. And you had a great experience. And as a result, you have a deep passion and conviction to operate as a team. Like you work really well in a team environment. But one of the things that's been so, I think, profound to me is that I found that some of my greatest passions and convictions haven't come from my highlight reel, but have come from the battlefield. That some of, some of my greatest and deepest passions and convictions have been developed from my past battles that have resulted in current passions. And I think David was looking at Saul in this moment, 
And he said, you know, Saul, I, I've been through some stuff. Like, I know how it feels to be the run of the family. Nobody wants to hang out with you. I, I've been tending my father's sheep on the backside of this wilderness by myself. Like, nobody was there to my left. Nobody was there to my right. And in this time, I just began to develop this relationship with God. I began to, de to develop this heart and this passion. And God became my best friend. And out there in that wilderness, I've been through some stuff. And the lion came and the bear came to try to snatch away my father's sheep. And nobody was there. Nobody was to my left. Nobody was to my right. But I watched God do some incredible stuff of snatching those, uh, of being able to snatch those animals out of the, the mouth of those beasts. And me being able to put them on their back. That just doesn't happen, Saul. I've been through some battles. I've got some scars. And as I'm looking out on this field and I hear this guy taunting the God that I'm so in love with and passionate about, the God who I know is true, the God who I know is alive, and as I'm watching this entire army really in, in the jaws of fear and defeat, man, something's got to be done. Someone's got to step to the plate. And the God that I know who rescued me out of these last battles, I know has the potential and will rescue me from this Philistine. Lord, put me in the game. Put me in the game. And I think we can all identify with that to some degree. Like even this past conversation that I had uh, with this gentleman, I didn't listen to him. And I stepped into what God had called us to do. And we've watched God do some amazing things here over the last three years. It's been incredible. It's been supernatural. That's why we say there's no superheroes here because that's the truth. None, none of us could take credit for what God is doing. Like, this just doesn't happen. 90% of restarts uh, in regards to church plant, 98% fail. It just doesn't happen. It's God is doing something supernaturally. But can I tell you what that's done? It's having to have to go, go through some of those battles. It's put a deep conviction and passion in my heart for church planters. To be a source of encouragement, to be a resource to them, to want to lift them up, to want to build them up. In fact, we have one of my buddies is coming to preach next week. He just planted a church in Los Angeles. And you guys are in for a big treat. But it's just, I want to encourage them because some of our greatest, some of our greatest passions in the present are from some of our greatest battles in the past. I, I, I don't know if you guys have ever, well, let me tell you, let me tell you, tell you the story like this. There was a gentleman who was so discouraged, was going through a battle. And in this battle, he decided to go to a leadership conference just to try to awaken something in him. He was, he didn't really have any direction. He was struggling with his, you know, purpose in life, if you would. And he went to this leadership conference, and they, they said one line to him that really stuck out. They said, you have to develop, like, the, a distaste for the impossible. And so it really resonated with him. He went home, and he said, you know what? If anything was possible, like, I wonder if I downloaded the Internet and saved all the links, if that would work. And maybe I'll name it Google. Some of our, our greatest passions... Some of our greatest convictions could come from some of the deepest battles. And so listen, lean in to your passions and convictions because a lot of times your passion and convictions are going to be tied to your purpose. The third thing I want you to jot down is this. I want you to pay attention to your unique personality. Your unique personality. Some of you guys are introverts. Some of you guys are extroverts. Right? Some of you guys are good at this. Some of you guys are good at that. And the temptation a lot of times is to want to walk in somebody else's purpose. 
The temptation at times could be, uh, I, I want to walk in somebody else's calling. I think I should be more like them or more like that. Can I tell you, you make a great you, you make a horrible somebody else. That's just how God made you. You are unique. There's a unique design to you. I, I remember uh, a, a, few, a couple years back, I had one of the biggest speaking engagements that I've ever spoke at. It may not seem big to you, but it was big to me. It was at the Redwood Christian High School commencement. Now, it was big to me because a lot of times they have lawyers, doctors, scientists come and do the commencement, and they picked me. And so I was sitting next to the principal, and I was nervous. He said, you nervous? I was like, yeah. He said, why do you think I gave you that wireless mic? Because I asked him, do I have to stand at the podium? He's like, why do you think I gave you that wireless mic? Because I know you, and we wanted you. If we wanted somebody else, we would have got somebody else. So I just need you to be the best you tonight. You just get out there and be you. And, man, it just, it just put so much, so much, it just allowed me to rest. Because, man, we make a great us, but we make a horrible somebody else. Now, now, I need you to lean into this because I really feel like this is from the Lord, is that some of you just need to hear today that you are valuable. That maybe you haven't heard that for a while. Maybe you haven't been realizing that about yourself, but I really feel like the Lord wanted me to tell you that you are so valuable, so precious to him. In fact, Ephesians chapter 2, uh, well, actually, let me read this. First Samuel 17, look, look at David's experience with this. It says, and Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened his sword over the tunic, walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So David took them off. David was just saying, this isn't me, man. I appreciate your armor, but this is just not how God has wired me. He's made me unique. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says this, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do good things that he's planned for us long ago. Now, everybody listen to me. Whenever an artist is painting a masterpiece, it's very intentional. He's picking out the right size canvas. He's mixing together all of the colors in a perfect array. He's got a vision in mind of already what he's getting ready to paint. There's been sketches. There's been Ideas, there's been his imagination has been flowing, and God said that He created you in His image. And as He imagined you, He began to make a masterpiece of work with your name on it, with your fingerprints, unique, unlike any other masterpiece in the world. God doesn't make mistakes. And David understood this. Look what David said in Psalms 139. David said it like this He said, You make all the delicate inner parts of my body. Come on, ladies and gentlemen. And knit me together in my mother's womb. David was saying, you just didn't create my organs. You created my personality. You created uh, my emotions. You wired me uniquely. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex, David said. Your workmanship is marvelous. This is my favorite part, though. David said, how well I know it. Another translation says it like this. My soul knows it well. This was a deep reality for David. That God had intricately made him. He knew that he was loved by God, that he was valued, that he was God's masterpiece. And I believe God wants us to get that in the depths of our soul. Because let me tell you this, you will never be able to walk in your purpose and your calling if you're not you. Because God made you. Last one is this. I want you to pay attention to your spiritual gifts. Your spiritual gifts. 
Now, you might be asking, what in the world is a spiritual gift? What does that even mean? Well, I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to show you a picture because it's mentioned four different places in the scriptures. So let me show you this picture. It's mentioned in Ephesians, in 1 Peter, which we've been reading, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, in Romans chapter 12. And here's a list of spiritual gifts. Everything from encouragement to uh, prophecy, wisdom, miracles, knowledge, serving, apostleship, pastor, teaching. There's a lot of gifts up there. Would you guys agree? Now, some of you guys might be asking, how in the world, I don't even know my spiritual gifts. Well, some of you already know what I'm going to say, but I'm going to say it anyways. Step three of the growth track, uh, you need to jump into that. If you've never jumped into our growth track, jump in this month. Step three, we're going to walk you through a personality profile and a spiritual gifts test. Now, if you've walked through step three, but you've yet to, and you're still kind of confused, come again. But come with questions. Ask some questions, kind of wrestle through some of the things that you're concerned with. But I know most of us, you know, we don't like to wait for step three. So I'm going to give you a little opportunity to, to get a sneak peek into to how you're wired. So let me give you an example. I have a pumpkin pie here. And uh, I got this from Craig Rochelle, and I thought this was a, a really great example. How many of you guys like pumpkin pies? Woo! Now I'm going to go ahead and cut this with my finger, okay? And so imagine I cut this with my finger. And because it's close to the ledge, imagine I cut it, and all of a sudden this thing tips over, falls on my pants, and all over the floor. In that moment, how do I pay attention to my spiritual gifts? Pay attention to how you respond in environments. For example, some of you guys would jump right up right away and say, let me help, let me, let me, let me clean it up. You're looking for napkins, you've got some water bottles up, you're like, let me go. I want to help. You might have the gift of helps or hospitality. Right, for some of you, uh, you're going to sit there and look and say, Pastor Matt, don't worry, I'll buy you another one. I got you. You might have the gift of giving and generosity. Some of you guys might say, hey, Pastor Matt, don't worry about this. I got, I'm going to organize this whole deal. You go get the napkins. You go get the, the towels. You go get the resolve. You might have the gift of administration or leadership. Like some of you, uh, you, might, you might look and say, oh, Pastor Matt, man, I've, I've done that before. Matter of fact, give me some of that pie. Let me put it on my pants too. We're, we're in this together. You might have the gift of encouragement. Then others of you, you might say, oh, Pastor Matt, my heart is just breaking with you. Oh, come, Lord Jesus. Right? You might have the gift of mercy might be some compassion flowing through your body. Some of you would look at me and say, hey, Pastor Matt, um, there's a much better way to go about cutting a pie. Matter of fact, um, you probably don't want to use that knife. And pie in the Greek actually means, right, you guys might have the gift of teaching. And then this is probably my favorite one. Some of you guys are looking at me like you're ridiculous. Some of you guys are looking at me right now like that's, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. Number one, you should never be cutting a pie on the platform. That's just wrong. You should never even attempt to do it with your finger. What were you thinking? If that's you, you might, you might be prophetic. You might be a prophet. Because you see stuff that's messed up and it's just not working right. But, but, but here's, here's the beautiful reality. You say, why, why do I need to pay attention to all of these things? And let me show you. Let me... Let me wrap this up for us. And Jeff, you can come up and, and play for me. I want you to pay attention to all of these things because as you begin to connect these dots, let me show you this picture. 
As you begin to connect these dots and pay attention to people in your life, pay attention to your passions and your convictions that God has put on the inside of you. Pay attention to your personality and how you're uniquely wired. And take some time to discover your spiritual gifts. It says you begin to connect all of these dots together and pay attention to them. All of a sudden, you get closer and closer to discovering this thing that we call, and let me show you this, purpose. <laughs> Isn't it just so cool? Like as you start now, I'm not saying that it's going to be a perfect and everything's going to be clear and you're going you're gonna to nail everything down if you just examine these. But I'm saying you're going to get closer and closer because God takes these things. And he uses them for his glory. See, in these last days, God hasn't just called you to make it through. God has called you to make a difference. And that may not sound like the most uh, fulfilling message that you want to hear today. A lot of times we come to church, we, we, want, we want to hear something that, that's going to affect me. And can I just tell you, ladies and gentlemen, this is going to affect you. As you're making a difference in people's lives for eternity, there's a joy that comes with that. There's a, there's, a, there's a satisfaction that comes in the midst of that. And I'm not just saying that so, hey, you can be a part and serve at our church. No, God's called you to serve in every environment that you step into. But I love what Peter says. Peter doesn't stop there. He goes on to say, man, you should use the gift that God has given you to serve others. But look what, how Peter continues. He says, if anyone speaks... They should do as one who speaks the very words of God. Sorry for the little typo there. If anyone serves, they should do it with the strength that God provides. And so what he's saying, listen, is anything you do, whether you're speaking, you have some speaking gifts, you have some serving gifts, whatever, God, that's how kind of Peter categorizes them. He says, whatever you're doing, do it for him. And do it in the strength that God provides. Depend on the Holy Spirit that as you step in, to moments that God is calling you to step into. Believe that God is going to meet you there. And that he's going to give you everything that you need. But here's what he said. Here's the motive. So that in all things God might be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. David says the same thing in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 46 and 47. David said this. All right, Goliath. Everybody's going to know today that it's not by spear, that it's not by javelin that you're going down. But it's by the hand and by the power of God Almighty. And everybody in the land will know that God is alive in Israel. What he was saying is, it's not, this story of David and Goliath is not about me. It's about you. It's about making your name famous. It's about your praise. Now, if you don't hear anything else I say, lean into this. What both Peter and David are speaking to us today is this. That if you take your gifts that God has given you and you align your purpose with the intention of bringing God praise by serving people and by him being glorified, you will not only live a purposeful life, you'll live a significant life. And that's really what all of us are longing for. Like we really want to make a difference. We want our life to count. And I don't think David in that moment was like, oh, man, God got glory for this. No, David was like, I found my greatest joy and significance, not when I'm serving me, but when I'm serving others and I'm bringing glory to God. So my, my question to you is this, is what will you miss? What will you miss out on? And what stories will never be told if we don't pay attention 
on purpose.